Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Warmtown. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. And we are also being joined by uh, two very special guests. One is more familiar to the audience. That's Chloe Cantor from the Crawl Space podcast. What's up, Chloe? Not much. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, we are excited to have you here. And our guest who is not as familiar to the audience is Karen Mayot. Very happy to be here as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I said before we started recording that I was nervous about this. I, I, I don't know if I've been uh, as anxious for an interview. This is sort of a humbling experience right now. So. Oh, well, that's a compliment. Don't be <laughs> well, thank you, though. No, it's, it is a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for reaching out. We really appreciate it. And um, obviously, 
you are a person involved in this story have been talked about over the years. Yes. By us and by people on message boards and, and things like that. So it is great that you reached out and we can actually hear directly from you what your experience uh, with Mora was. Quick bit of background. Karen is the person who saw Mora the night that she had the phone call where it shook her and she said the words, my sister, she was at her job and you were the the supervisor at the time. Yes, that is correct. Right. So this has been out there, like you said, in blogs and mm-hmm. in on message boards and people have speculated as to what the conversation was and people have even gone so far as to speculate what Morris' state of mind was, which is cool that you're here with Chloe because we can start to get into the psychological aspect of this and including myself saying things that I had just learned through what I've read. And that was one of the reasons why you reached out because you heard this. I have very little memory of what I said, but it was something to the effect of you might have had an agenda of your own. Yes, that is correct. Yep. And I apologize for that. No, it really is wonderful to be here, though, because after all the years, it's still a very big part of myself, what had happened. So, yeah. And when when you wrote that to me on Facebook that Lance said something like that, I I had no defense of Lance because I didn't even understand what what it meant. So I was like, I'm sorry. I don't even know what he's talking about. I vaguely vaguely remember uh, somebody saying that. I can't remember where I read it, but I remember reading... Uh, somebody making uh, conclusions about why you sa- said certain things and they in, in their writing they said, this is someone who acts like they would have an agenda of their own. Mm-hmm. And yes, yep. I remember just looking at it in such a vacuum of that moment and saying, oh, that does make sense. But that's the danger of this And that's why it's journey. wonderful to be here. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good, exactly. good, good. So I totally agree. There's so much speculation out there. I believe that comment because I'm familiar with the message board comment you're thinking of. Um, And it started with, you know, Karen was the only person that witnessed this event. No one can really corroborate it or confirm it. And I think it just escalated from there and it's entirely baseless. And that's what, yeah, exactly. That's how, because I teach my students a lot about social media and all that stuff. So that's what, exactly. So it's totally understandable. So it's good to be here. Good. Good. (laughs) So let's move on from that. Um, (laughs) I I also just wanted to mention that, Chloe, your official title at your job is psychiatric counselor, right? Yes. Out of all the times we've had you uh, on this show or Crawl Space, this is like the most appropriate time to ever have you on the podcast, I think. Sure. Yeah. I believe that night has been a source of great speculation from the entire community because it was an emotional event. Um, speculation is, could this have caused the disappearance? Could this have caused her to leave? And it's something that I've explored myself. So I think getting deeper into it, hearing about it from the source can kind of help us unpack it a little. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it's really refreshing to hear things from the people that were what I've been starting to call is like the, uh, the close circle, like back, back in the day, back in 2003, 2004, yeah. 2005, there's this group of people, you are, you are one of those people, the important people who knew Mora, who talked with her, experienced her, and maybe even have information leading to us to figure out what was going on in her head the days before she decided to take this trip. Exactly, yeah. So it's very important. So I agree. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's yeah, get to let's, let's get to this night. So yeah, so I guess take us through what happened. So for a bit of background knowledge, because I was at um UMass Amherst and I worked security. So for security there's different positions. So I was um 
the supervisor. So basically, at every one of the dorms, they would have the receptionist in the dorms. And um, if you went to colleges, you know what that looks like when you walk into a building. You have to show your IDs, or there's different fancy systems nowadays to get admitted into a building. So I was in charge of those employees. So basically, every night when the shift was on, we would... Um, Go in, go to all the buildings. We would give them breaks. And their term was the supervisor, the um, the security receptionists. So the receptionists were the ones who worked in the dorm buildings, like right in the lobby themselves. So as a supervisor, I was um, I'm a very social, fun person. So my job it was really nice because I got to hang out with a lot of people each night from all around campus. So my job was to give breaks, and if there's any problems at dorms, like with people getting in that shouldn't be in the dorm or whatnot, so like with a lot of different responsibilities, because um, college campuses can be a bit crazy themselves. No, but um, Samara, so, so she was a receptionist. I'm not exactly sure when she was hired for as a receptionist, but um, I worked with her for we were good friends for like six plus months from the job itself. Probably before then, I just figured exactly when she was hired. And so she worked in Southwest. If you're familiar with UMass, that's like the busy, like almost like urban, like style part of the campus with the tall, the tall, like they have like the skyscraper buildings, like the 20, whatever, how many floors, like 22 floors. And so on this Thursday night in question, when she received the phone call, I was a floater, meaning I went through all of the parts of campus. And on those nights, you always want to end up in Southwest because that's like the busiest, um, the most student population in that area. So you want to get to there at the end of the night because that's where they usually have the most problems with um, security and whatnot. So I started at um, like Northeast on campus, Sylvan. I went, if, I'm sure a lot of listeners know, might know the UMass area by now from like just research and whatnot. And I think it was about, I'm not, I say after so many years, I don't know the exact times, but it was around 10 30 when I would have ended up in Southwest for my night shift. We started at like six o'clock, but we'd got briefings by like 6.45 or seven, we're like out in the field walking around. So by 10.30, I got to Southwest and there's this, I forget the name of the eatery. There was a place on campus would always, um, that would be like our, our like late snack time. So we'd go, we went to go get some food with um, the other, and we would meet up, we would always meet up with the other supervisors who were in Southwest the whole night. So we had like two supervisors who'd always be in Southwest the whole night. While like they, like myself, I was just going in between the areas. So we'd be have extra supervisors at the end of the night from the two extras who were like floating around. So we'd always like meet up um, to get some pizza or whatnot whenever um, we got to that area that night. We just like let them know. There was two guys I was working with. Um, I think it was I forget the name, but um, he told me he said you be, um, you better go check on Mars. She's um, she's not doing so well. And at that point, I was I got extremely worried about her because I to hear that about anyone, it gets you nervous. So um. I immediately, I didn't even, I, I didn't even like sit down to eat. So at that point, I went right over to Melville where she was working, which was like like a like a three minute walk away from where we were getting the food. And um, I remember um, so I was so I remember just um, sw- we had our ID cards because we could swipe into any building we would want that we needed to to go check on the receptionists. Otherwise, if you were on campus, only if you were a student of Melville, only like your ID would get into that building. So long story short, so I get to the um, I get to Melville. And I swipe in and I walk in and like I'm always a very happy cherry person. So I had a huge smile on my face to go check, you know, so what's going on to go visit it with her like many other nights. But um, walking in, she wouldn't even um, she wouldn't even like make eye contact with me. Like I, she was when you walk in, she heard the security, um, the desk, the receptionist desk area was like directly in front of you walking into Melville. And she was like she was just like looking like past me. It was very weird because normally I wouldn't get that reaction from her like going to visit, you know, visit with her. Um. I'd usually just smile and say hi, walking in. But um, so I walk up. So she was like just staring out into space, like staring out the window, 
the window, those like large windows right next to the door. And um, so at that point, I was totally concerned just from that primary reaction from her. So then I walked right up to, um, there was like this little like enclavery like next to the desk, a little ear that could stand, there's room for me to stand next to. So I remember um, walking right beside her. I have some very strong memories of like this situation, even after what, 14 years? <laughs> oh my goodness. After 14 years, and I, I wasn't sure how to, what to say next or like start a conversation because I was, I'm not an expert in like the psychology of like, it's, I knew she was extremely upset. I knew something was going on. So I asked her right away, I said, what's going on? What can I do for you? I know time can get kind of strange when something like this happens, like if you're experiencing something. Like, all I know, like, years ago, I was in an arms robbery. Like, it was a pretty violent thing. And I just remember, like, it was a 20-minute robbery. I only remember, like, one minute of it. Like, that type of stuff. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's only, I can only, like, so nothing like that. This was nothing violent. But um, when I was talking with her, I just, I don't remember how long it took her for her to finally respond to me. I don't know if I was standing there for, like, one minute or, like, five. I don't know how much quiet time was between us. But eventually, she said, my sister... Because I, I don't know, like, if I kept asking her, like, over and over, like, what's going on? What's going on? But it, it was it was definitely some awkward, like, time in between where she was just staring, like, just staring out the window. Wouldn't even, like, engage with me. There's probably a fancy term with that with psychology. I don't know, but she wouldn't engage with me. But eventually she just said, my sister. And then um, she um, then she started crying. But she, it wasn't, like, a like a huge sob. like you're, But she was just, like, she was, I would say, like, crying softly. Like, like sob, I don't know, like, crying softly whatnot. And at that point, I just remember putting my arm around her and just saying, what, um, what can I do for you? I, I don't know. I don't remember these exact words I said at this moment. I just remember that my sister. At one point, it was just awkward time. So I couldn't really because she wouldn't she wouldn't tell me anything else except those words. I think she said my sister like twice like that statement. And at that point, I was trying to figure out what to do. And oh, yes, at that point, um, there was um Mel, I forget if it's an all girl though, but I knew because there was two people. There's a lady who swiped into the building to come inside, and um, I knew from um, the other guy with her that he was not um, a student because I could see his ID and it had a different color on the bottom, whatever. So they should have signed him in, but they just like walked right past Mara, and I'm just kind of like, and like this is not good, you know, because her job was to be signing them in. Otherwise, you know, you're not doing your job as receptionist. So at that point, I kind of realized that she what shouldn't be even working. Not for her, I, not that I was upset with her, but I felt bad that she wasn't able to, you know, do her job that night. And the second thing was, I remember um, that the last few months at work, we were having issues with people on cell phones, like being, um, not being, like I'm um, being distracted by their cell phones. So they weren't supposed to have like cell phones on their desk either. They're supposed to be like hidden away. You know, they sometimes they'll get away with it. But I, or they would try to be sneaky and like put a cell phone like under a notebook or something to try to hide it from us. But hers was like in blatant view, like in front of me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not good either. But, um, but of course, that was my least of my concern, of the concerns with her. So at that point, I, I remember going out of the building just for a minute because I didn't want to talk to my supervisor in front of her because that'd be awkward. So I, I went out of the building. I remember I called um, Nate. So when we were doing security in the dispatch office, back then it was right above the police department. Now I heard that the police department's moved a different part of campus. So um, I called my um, dispatcher. They work in the office with our walkie-talkies. They're in charge of all of us. And um, I remember just telling Nate, I said, um, she's not doing so well. Can I please just let her go home and get off shift? And he said, of course, of course you can. So, um, cause I told him that, um, that she let like two people go, like a guy go in without even checking his ID. So, so, um, so he gave uh, me permission to do so. So I remember going back in the building, like I was just right outside. I could still see her when I was talking to him on the set, my cell phone. And, um, I went back in the building and I told her, I'm going to pack you up so you can, um, you know, you can be done. And, um, before I packed her up, um, I, I asked her, I said, oh, tonight we always, on Thursday nights, we always go to, um, 
Dunkin' Donuts right in Hadley right down the road because they were the like that was like the only like eatery like open late after our shifts whatever and I told you you should come with us so um we can just talk and like you know just hang out and um so I can just I forget what I said I, you know I can, so I can make you feel better or whatever I forget the exact term I said at that point and at that point she um so she so at this point because before she just said to me my sister my sister like that was it for like communication verbal wise and at this point she said no I have um a big test tomorrow and I remember her looking at this huge, it was like a, I don't know how many pages, but a huge like nursing book right on her desk next to her, like open, it was open. She was studying it. I don't know, I don't know if she was studying, but it was open to like one third of the way through the book or whatever. And um, so she said, nope, I can't tonight. So I remember writing down my cell phone with my name and I um, put my cell phone on a little scrap of paper right next to him. Like, please, you know, call me like when, it, when um call me when I get out. Well, the thing is we couldn't, like I couldn't leave my shift because I knew she was going to get off duty right at that moment. But I had to work another like two and a half hours. So I couldn't go to Duncan's with her just then. But I said, I'll be done at like two o'clock. Please call me around. Then if you want, still want me to pick you up, we'll go get some coffee together. And she didn't respond to that, but I assumed it was a no because she wouldn't respond to that. So, um, and I remember like I told her again, I'm like, okay, you know, we can unpack up now so you can, um, you know, get off your shift. And she still, she wasn't even moving. Like she wasn't doing anything. She was still like staring out. Like when I said, when I walked in the building, her like staring like out the door at me, she was just like staring like straight ahead. Wouldn't even um do any, like she wouldn't even, um. I had to get her backpack off the floor. I put all of her books in her backpack with her pens and everything else. And I put my, um, my cell phone number like on the top of her backpack when I zippered it up. So when they would, would go on duty, they had to like unlock this box in the box, there was this phone you'd have to hook up so they could call, you know, like the security office if they needed us because they weren't supposed to have cell phones if they needed that. And they would take out this binder where they would sign the names of people. Nowadays, I think it's different electronic wise. But back then, you'd have to just write in the names or whatever. And she wouldn't even like physically like put that away. And that was like, you got to put that away before you leave duty. So I remember I had to physically clean off like her whole desk for her, which was kind of odd because she was sitting. I just remember like walking around her getting stuff. I just felt very, it was I knew something was up because that was yeah. not healthy happy behavior when we spoke to you on the phone you called Mora in sort of in a catatonic state yeah because i never know that i would say that's because she was just staring away and she for many like i don't know how many exact minutes i was with her at that time in between all this but it was just an awkward 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 time with i like i felt very nervous is that state something you've witnessed before or after never not with anyone actually they've ever had interactions with ever I just want to back up yeah, really, really quick to when you entered uh, the hall and you saw Maura. Did you enter through where the students would enter? Yes. Okay. Yep, the main entrance. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. No good question. Yeah. And and you saw her right away the way a student would see her. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes, that is correct. And she was she was visibly upset at that instantly when you yes. walked in? Yeah. Okay. And you're not saying that she was uh, using her cell phone. You said the cell phone Exactly. There. It was just out. So when I was with her the whole time, I did not see her using it at all. Gotcha. And I didn't see anything pop up for um, like phone numbers or texts or whatever or any of that stuff. So. Oh, that's good. So I did not. Okay. Okay. So all she said to you was my sister mm-hmm. probably twice. And I remember trying to pry something out of her about the sister. Like yeah. I don't exactly. I think like, oh, what's going on with you? But she never responded back whenever I asked her. I didn't get any response back in regard to... What was up with her sister? Gotcha. So this was Thursday night? Yes. She said she had a big test on Friday? Yes. Uh, where did you guys go from there? You're gathering her stuff up? And um, I physically picked up her backpack for her because um, she still wasn't moving from her seats. 
and I started walking away with her backpack. She had her cell phone and her I don't I don't remember the cell um I remember I think she had like in her hands or her pocket. So I physically started walking away from the desk and she followed me. And then um so we left the building. It was like a like a five like a ten foot walk. We left the building. I asked her where she lived and she didn't answer me, but she just started walking towards Kennedy because you have Melville, you have like we call it the poets corner like Emerson Melville um what is it? Emerson James Melville Thoreau? So she started walking towards Kennedy, the first tower right next to those buildings, and um, so I just followed her. It was a very awkward interaction with because well, I'm a social person, like I said, and she went and we talked for many many nights before that, and she just wouldn't even like engage with me, like walking back to her dorm, and I'm putting my arm around her. And when she got to her dorm, she had her ID out, so she could have physically swiped in to get into Kennedy, go up to her stairs, and she wouldn't even, like, swipe her ID. So I remember I physically had to, like, go in front of her. It was just awkward. And, like, I, I physically swiped the ID. I opened the door for her. I let her go in. And then even when we went past um, the receptionist of Kennedy working at the time, who, was, who knew Mara because they all worked together, those receptionists, Mara didn't say anything to that girl. I forget who it was. But um, I said quickly, I'm just going to bring her back to her room. And, um, and same thing, like Mara, um, you're supposed to, when in Kennedy, you have keys. So if you go past the receptionist, this was back then, of course, you would have to use your room key to get into the double doors that go to the elevators. And so she was just kind of waiting in front of the doors, getting into the elevators. So I physically went by her and I opened the doors with my key to let her in there. And then at that point, I said, I'm nervous. I, I feel bad. I'm nervous about leaving you alone. And she said, um, oh, I have a roommate. It's OK. So at that point, I'm still on shift and we're not supposed to go anywhere above the first floor for our role because it's against we don't go in dorm areas, just lobbies. So at that point, um, I felt awful leaving her there, but I had no other. I mean, I don't know. I hadn't, at that point, I didn't think I had another option. And I just remember she went um, She went up the stairs, so I assumed she lived on the second, third, or fourth floor or something because she didn't take the elevator. I gave her a kiss on the cheek right before she left, and I said, you know, please call me later tomorrow if you want to get together. She didn't respond back, didn't look back, and went up the stairs. Um, and then at that point, I just went back on duty, like back to what I was doing for my shift. And I called my supervisor right after I dropped her off to say, um, I'm st- I, I remember telling him, I said, I'm still very nervous. I told him, I said, I'm very nervous leaving her like that. I'm very worried about her. But then um, I forget his response. He cared about it. I forget his response. But then I just had to go back to um, finish off my shifts. Was there any thought in your head that this could have been something that was maybe alcohol or drug induced? No, but I was a very naive kid that back then. So I never did it. So you know what? I never would have thought about that. It's a great question, but um, I didn't even that it didn't occur to me. Chloe, yeah, is this something that uh, you've heard of before? Uh, seen yourself, perhaps? Yes, um, but it's normally in in people that are psychotic when when they're not responding and require a lot of prompts to just do basic functional activities. You said she wasn't packing her backpack. She wasn't swiping her card. She was just standing there and she needed prompts to even open the door to walk up the steps. That's worrisome. It's it's very worrisome. worrisome. And and you bring up catatonia. um, That's very rare. And normally it's only seen with people that have schizophrenia. It it can be seen in other disorders like bipolar, post-traumatic stress. I don't think she has any known psychiatric history, at least that we're aware yeah, of. I don't, yeah. And I, I, at least coming from the family, there wasn't. So catatonia is pretty rare. And usually you can't respond to anything. Like you're basically unresponsive. Sometimes people that are in that state, 
if if let's say I'm catatonic and yeah. you're trying to talk to me and let's say you go like this to try to touch my shoulder, yeah. I'll do the same. Like I'll literally oh, just mimic your movements. Yeah. So I've seen people that are ca- catatonic and, and they w- she wouldn't be able to walk up the stairs. She wouldn't have been able to oh, say, okay. um, oh, no, I can't. I have a, I have a test tomorrow. Like some, right. Yeah. So she was, she seemed to have been in a state that was kind of similar to it, but she was able to function a little bit. And that just makes me think that she was really preoccupied. Okay. So catatonia, catatonia is an actual term, a clinical term? Right. It's a clinical okay. term. And I think more ca- it is used more casually, like someone that is a psychiatric professional probably wouldn't have said that was catatonia. Right. And I just want to be clear. uh, You said that, that I haven't, you know, I've only seen that uh, in people that are psychotic. You work in a psych ward. So, okay. So I just want to be clear. Yes. I work, I work in a um, psychiatric unit, inpatient, um, acute care for adolescents, adults and um, older adults. So I have seen that response and they can sort of respond, but a lot of it's mirroring your own movements. They, they're basically the ones that just lie in bed and, and yes, won't respond to yeah. you at all. Okay. So when, with psychosis, there's positive symptoms and negative symptoms. Catatonia is a negative symptom it's, because okay. you're just, you can't function. Okay. okay. Yep. So separate from actual classified catatonia, um, have you seen that kind of behavior, the behavior that Mora was showing? Yes, I have seen it in some of the patients that I work with every day at my job. I would say that her reaction and associated behaviors most closely align with a disassociative episode. Those can be triggered by a lot of things. Some people even have a disorder where they chronically are in disassociative episodes, which basically is a disruption in your consciousness, in your identity, in your memory. You feel disconnected from your emotions, from your surroundings, and that can make you a little bit less responsive. Those can be triggered by um, severe anxiety, severe um, fear. They essentially are triggered by traumatic events or a stress response. So it's actually an adaptive response so that the person can process the trauma that they were just exposed to when they're emotionally ready to do so. So it's almost a shutdown. I think that Mora was exhibiting those behaviors that night. They call it, um, you know, like the the fight, flight, or freeze response. Yes, yep. When your HPA axis, which I think is the hypothalamic pituitary. I do not, yep. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Yep. So, when that's, so when that's activated, it's usually in response to something that's really traumatic or stressful and freeze is one of the responses. And I think that's maybe what was going on with her, that she had just received really bad news, just realized something really, really bad. And she was so preoccupied by that, that she was having trouble functioning and she was responding to prompts by what you were saying. Like when you were prompting her, she would, Yeah, but just slow response. Yeah. Slow responses and not the norm. And you knew her for, you said you were friends with her for six months. We worked plenty together before that. And you had never, Never, no, 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 never. We had great conversations. Never like that. Right. And I know when sometimes people are in a bad mood, like just a general bad yeah, mood sometimes they won't respond like it's like exactly like when you were first saying um that when you invited her to get coffee with you exactly. in the morning she didn't even answer like exactly. i could see someone just in a bad mood just but it didn't it was, seem like no, that either it was it, wor- it was very worrisome how does this differ from an anxiety attack basically the source of it is pretty similar um an anxiety attack can be prompted by the activation of the hpa axis 
it can last from minutes to hours. Usually it's characterized by, you know, catatonic like behavior or um, like hyperventilation. You see that a lot. People can't breathe. They feel like they can't breathe. They have the physiological symptoms where they feel like they might vomit. They feel like they're having a heart attack. You know, ambulances are frequently called when people are having a panic attack with those symptoms when they don't know what it is. But you also do see people that just sort of freeze. So you drop Mora off uh, at the elevator. And you, uh, you're still expressing concern for her. You go back to work. How did the rest of your night play out? It was nothing out of the ordinary because I don't really have memories of that exact night. So nothing big happened on campus. I remember just um, on Thursday nights we would um, head back to the office at we would like leave the receptionist. We get off duty. I think it was like one thirty, so we'd be done by one forty-five in the in the field area. By two thirty, we're done our shifts because weekends would be end at three thirty. And um, I had to teach the next morning, so I was just glad to get home because I was exhausted, I remember. And, um, but then when I was driving back, it started snowing that night. So I'm like, oh, that's you know, kind of cool that um, you know, might have no, you know, no school type of thing for teachers. makes you very happy. So we never ended up going out for coffee that night because I didn't have four-wheel drive at the time with my car. So I didn't feel like going all the way down to Hadley in the, snow, in the snowstorm. So it was snowing that bad where you considered it was, Well, I'm a very drive? nervous driver. It might not have been. I'm a very nervous driver. I don't okay. like driving in any snow. So I don't know that. <laughs> it was accumulated. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline leading on the ground it was maybe like an inch or two at that point okay. when i was leaving okay yeah it's good to, it's good yeah. to know uh because we know that Mora had that first accident with her dad's car you know i don't yes. know how often they plow through there i don't know about icy conditions you know people have just been asking us over the course of the show you know, what were the road conditions like exactly and there's you know, if there was a snowstorm that went from thursday to friday exactly maybe to the weekend you know who knows because the but. next morning when i woke up um i had i think we had a delay and so i had to get to one of my classes um but um I just remember thinking I felt real. I felt happy and thinking that she could sleep and not worry because she told me she had like a something with nursing, like a nursing test. I'm like, oh, that's good. She won't have to, you know, get up and you know go to that. So that and um, and I had to get my um my kid to school anyways. He was in kindergarten at the time, so we I had to get him for they had a late start or something. So so at that point, that was my last real and that was my last interaction with her that night. That early, early, well, going into the night, early, early morning for that Friday morning. So. And so based on your past conversations mm-hmm. with Mora over the previous six months, this was completely different, obviously. So completely different. And you had really friendly conversations with her in the past. There was uh, no sign of anything like this. Did she ever talk about her family or anything like never, that? Or nope, never. Any troubles, B- Billy boyfriend troubles, anything? No, she never talked. She never shared with me anything personal over the year, over that time period. We mainly talked about the White Mountains hiking because we loved to go hiking. We'd talk about different trails we'd go hiking on. And at that point, I was in the process of adopting my, because um, when I met my um, husband back then, boyfriend, then fiance, um, I adopted his child in college. I was talking about that adoption route of raising him and all that stuff. So nothing but 
No, so I really didn't. I really didn't know if she had any other friends on campus. Like I didn't know her personal life. Like I never knew she ran track stuff. Like like I never. So yeah, I didn't know. So did she share stressors with her nursing program? Because I just imagined that she was under a lot of pressure constantly. She always had. I probably joked with her because she. I remember she always had that huge like nursing book on her desk. So. If I I probably joke with her, so she probably didn't express stress. Like if I maybe should have been more serious talking about her nursing program. I'm now I realize it was a tough, tough program. I didn't know back then it was that bad. Yeah, but I heard it's extremely difficult. It's very intense. Extremely to this day, you know. I bet it is. So, so I'm sure she had a lot of stressors, but she didn't get into anything specifically about the nursing program with me. Right. When I when I just think back to you know her textbooks open, yep. she has her phone yep. out. She just seems like someone in general that was pretty adhering to to rules and regulations like I bet before that she was probably a really good employee she never yes yeah, yeah. yes yes that's what everyone says about her that she was just very dedicated focused um a great student I remember I I had brief interaction with one of her professors who just oh, said well, yeah. yeah she was just like a wonderful student very smart um so for her to be violating multiple rules well, right in front of you right in front of the supervisor it just it's completely out of character and I think it just really speaks to an inability to function, an inability to regulate her emotions so she could just, you know, come back to that moment. She just was not able to. Exactly. I'm wondering, what do you think her super... So you said that your supervisor said you should probably check in with Mora or was it a coworker that said you should check in? It was a coworker. So we were, um, so... Our supervisor, like, um, so it's like a tiered system. So the head of, uh, like, because I was kind of like Mars, but like it's like a chain of command type of yeah. thing. So my boss would have been the one, and he would usually travel, he or she would travel around at night. I think, um, so it was Nate that night. But he was in the office, in the dispatch office, when I called him um, to ask if she could get off duty that evening. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, like, traveling around to campus. We just meet up with them. So yeah. he gave me the okay when he was in the office that night that she could go home. Right. So I wonder what his interaction was with her or if someone just told him, like if he encountered her. I wonder what his account of the situation is, if she said anything to him or if she, I don't know. Because I do wonder that, too, because they told me Mara is um, very you know, upset. So I don't know where ex- exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. I wonder if anything was said to him or if he saw anything yeah. of note. Of, the, of why they figured out she was upset. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. Now, uh, just curious about something. Psychologically speaking, I'm, I'm not uh, really at all educated to, to talk about this, but I suppose I can ask questions. She lied to you technically, right? She said, I have a roommate. That wasn't yep. true. So for someone to be in this state who you know, seems pretty focused on something internal, as we talked about, and then she actually tells a lie to be more alone obviously we I think we can all admit that was the reason that she lied uh it was so she would be left alone um but that doesn't that show that there's some like deeper thought process there yeah i think like a complete shutdown that that we're talking about like it, it she wouldn't be able to make up something on the fly like i'm not even sure if she had a nursing test the next day i'm not even sure if she was upset because of her sister i I think she didn't want it she didn't want to tell you she didn't want to talk about it so it it could have just been something she just said i think she was also on the phone with billy that night and i think more likely it was something that he had said or done or a result of their conversation just just based on the reaction yeah no i agree with that yeah 
And you said before she had never really mentioned Billy to you? No. So I, I really did. I, like, I felt like a bad friend after all this happened. I never knew anything about um, Billy or her track friends. Or, and so no, I did not. I suppose it wouldn't so, be you you know, being a bad friend. Yeah. It's more like you knew her through work. That was and, it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if, if he's not there at exactly. the school, yeah. I could see where that just wouldn't come up. I, I think. Yeah, but, it, it never came up, though. It never, yeah. Yeah, your your approach, I think, was like you're, you're being very social, you know, like, let's talk about this. Do you want to come get coffee and donuts with me and my friends? And she just wanted to deal with it alone or exactly. wasn't able to be social in that moment. So... And I didn't mention it, too. I forgot when I'm um, after I gave I remember now because after well, um. I, it always stays in my mind after I gave her my phone number to say, you know, like, let's go because I offered her to go to Duncan's that um, after shift that. Well, not night, early, early morning. It would have been when we got out of shift on Thursday or the next morning. But um, and I remember saying to her, you know, there's a health services right in UMass. Um, and I did a little fib to her because I, I was struggling with anxiety at that time as well myself. But um, I've never been to that health services, but I knew it was 24 hours. So I said, I've been there before. Like, I did a fib to try to get her to go. They're like, I've been there before. They're really wonderful. Can I bring you to health? Can we go to health services as well? And, um, but she wouldn't even respond to that yes or no, I remember. So, like, I threw that out there, even though I've never been there. But I know where it was located on campus. And I know I, know I could have walked there with her and, you know, found someone. What were you, so you said you really didn't want to leave her alone and obviously like with her behavior I think if any of us were there we would all feel the same way. Yep. I I I wonder what happened the rest of that evening. I know. I yeah. Well, yeah, so let's let's kind of break it down a little bit what we know because this was Thursday evening. This was about 96 hours before she went missing. So there was a lot of time you know it's not like she she went upstairs and no one ever saw her again. Exactly. You know she had some days there where she experienced uh, time with other people. So I'm confused how she kind of comes out of this state, exists for a few days. She obviously, we know she crashed her dad's car at one point. Um, so that could further intensify these feelings. And then we know there was supposedly some gathering one of these nights with, with some close friends. And we know that she wrote that email that essentially said she was leaving due to a death in the family. She did some research. She did some research on her computer. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I so, think she emailed her, her security supervisor, like my boss, one of the nights. Didn't she email them to say she wouldn't be working that week too, I thought? So, I, you know, the, the question that I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to is whether or not that phone call led her to send those emails and led her to have a bad moment with her dad's car the next night or the the Saturday night. We've all dealt with with hardship, you know, like a relationship ending, having a really hard time keeping up with classes, a fear whether it's based on reality or not that you're not going to pass a course, that you're going to disappoint people, crashing your dad. I've never done that, but crashing your father's car, these things all happening on their own, she would have been equipped to handle. But when all these things just happen all at the same time, I understand being so overwhelmed that you feel like you just need a break from school. And I think whatever she was upset about that night, coupled with wrecking her dad's car, I just think, and, and the stress from school, because I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in that program. And the fact that she literally brought her textbook everywhere kind of says everything. Like, no matter what she was doing, she was studying. She was always studying. I remember she always had her, like some people when they were working wouldn't have like, they were they wouldn't be working. They'd just be hanging out with friends, whatever. She always had her books with her. Always. Like her other shifts. So between the morning you woke up on Friday and you thought to yourself, oh, that that's nice. It's snowing. Maybe she doesn't have to um, 
take the test, maybe that'll be postponed. You, you, you thought about her the next morning, one of the first thoughts that you, that you had. Yes. Did you think about her on Saturday and on Sunday? And did you hear about the accident with her dad's car? Um, over the weekends, um, I, I, cause it was so long ago, but I definitely, I definitely thought about her cause it really affected me. Like I was, I felt horrible. Like that night, horrible leaving her like that. And I like knew something was up. Like I knew that was, it was, um, not the norm. So, um, I, I definitely felt like bad that weekend. Like I should have did more. Like I remember thinking like, oh, I should have probably tried to call like her family to make sure that she's like, to, like make sure her family, like that she's okay. But then um, I got so busy with like the rest of the weekend, I'm sure I just, I mean, I didn't do that. And I always felt guilty for that. But um, it was when, um, I forget the exact night I was working because she had the accident Monday night, right? Yeah. Monday night. And um, it was one of the nights that week that I was working again on shift when I got a phone call from my supervisor in the office again, wanting me to um, call them. So I called them and they asked me if I had um, worked with Mara, like the previous, they gave me the date, like that Thursday night, the previous Thursday. And I said I, I had. And um, then they told me she got in a car accident. And that's all they told me, that she got in a car accident. And at that point, um, it, was, it was a very short conversation because um, I had nothing else really, really to share with me. Um, and um, I just remember getting super upset because I had a bad feeling when she when I saw her last and when I heard that she got a car accident in the white he told me in the White Mountains, in the White Mountains I automatically thought she like went up to like kill herself because I well I just because I just how I saw her last it was wicked upsetting, and um, that night when I was working my supervisor called me back at some point maybe I forget the exact time and he just said one of the police officers wants to talk to you quickly so I called the police department which was right below the um, security office anyways and he wanted me he just asked me I forget who it was one of them wanted me to go in tomorrow just the next morning to write a statement for my last interaction with her I said of course I'd, you know, I, will, I would love to so the next morning I'm not sure if this was the Thursday morning or the Friday morning I did the statement I don't remember the date it was that week though I just forget when I got word of all what happened so I kind of I and I just remember writing the statement with pretty much everything I've shared with you I might have had more great detail like more like with the verbal communication details I don't know but um and I just remember writing that. I just and I remember leaving. Um, I remember wanting to them to ask me more questions to try to because I was super upset. And I just remember they didn't even want to like talk about it. I just like gave the statement. I wish I could have. I don't know. I felt like it was a disservice. I wasn't giving more information. Just written. I don't know. You wanted to help as much. I as wanted you could, to guess. Yeah. It was yes. I think that's pretty common when people are, you know, they they feel like they can help and they have the information, and when they are, no one in front wants of, it for me. Yeah, especially when you're in front of the police and you give your statement and you want to say, well, this happened and this happened, and you want to you want to contribute because you are a human being. And I remember <laughs> she and I felt so worried about her. I wanted them to realize how worried I was about her mental state when I last saw her because she was I was very worried about her. So I wanted them to get that biggest piece of it all too. So what other investigators or investigation forces did you talk to? Not investigation force, but I think it was like a week or two. Like I just remember for the like after that, I remember the first few weeks I would just watch things on the news. It was super upsetting to watch the news stuff about her and not having more like not talking to more people about it because it was it was really, really horrible. But then I remember Sharon I forget her Sharon, how do you pronounce her last name? Roush? Yep. Ra- correct. Billy's mom, correct? Yep. Yep. I forget how she contacted me. I think she found my my school email, but she she somehow or it would have been my personal. I don't know, but she emailed me and and she asked me if she um, could talk to me. And I'm like, of course, I'd love to, because I didn't know her. I didn't know about Billy or the connection. Um, 
of who he was, who she was. At first, I thought she was um, one of Mara's, like like her mother. I didn't know. I thought it was just like an aunt or something. So she introduced herself as Mora's. Uh, I'm no, sorry. she uh, she just said her name, so it was my fault. I didn't know who she was at first, and then when she when I talked to her, she told me she was Billy's mom, and I'm like, oh, okay. So once I talked to her, she um and she um I think it was a quick email, like, can you just um give me a call? I would like to talk to you about Mara. So I'm like, and I just emailed, of course. Is that the first time that you learned that Mora had a boyfriend? Yes. Okay. Yep. It would have been. Yep. Yeah, because she, um, and I remember because she started, like, when I called her some one of the evenings, she started right away explaining her relationship to Mara, of how Mara would always, well, he was Ohio, correct, Ohio? Mm-hmm. How she would go to Ohio some summers with them. They would, um, they had some great summers together. I remember she explained, she told me a lot about the personal stuff about Mara and Billy and the two of them. And then I think she asked me, and I, I, like, I just remember sharing the same conversation, like, what I share with you, I shared pretty much the same thing I shared with her that night on the phone as well. She didn't have many questions, too many questions for that at the end. She was very thankful that I talked to her, though. I was just looking at the the phone records because I just wanted to just clarify the times of everything. So this would have been, it was the night of February 5th to the early morning hours of February 6th. Is that right? Yes. And so, and you said soon after you were told that Mora wasn't in a good space. You were probably got over there in minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like within like three minutes. Yeah. And how sure are you about the time? Um, ten th- I would have to, um, trying to think 10, 1030. I think I got over there. So, I would have thought I would have been there by like 10 35, 10 40. Mm-hmm. But after all these years, I could have been mistaken about that. Like if it was left. So, like I'm not a hundred percent not at this point. I wish it was closer till when it happens, but um I originally thought like ten thirty, like ten to ten forty five. It's I, I ask because it's yeah. it's commonly cited online that it was more like one in the morning, one fifteen. And if that's true, um so her call with Kathleen was at ten ten PM and lasted for twenty eight minutes, and then at twelve oh seven AM she had a call with Billy for seven minutes. Interesting. Okay. And they say that the the crying and um kind of stupor episode was at 115 but it's i know it's been 14 years but that's definitely it's interesting it yeah it wouldn't have it's one minute 145 it's a really good question because yeah what was this uh moment after the phone call with kathleen or was it after potential phone call with bill uh about an hour and a half later right so according to the phone records it, if that was the result of the conversation with bill that lasted seven minutes? Yes, it lasted seven minutes. So the phone call would have ended at 12.15. So you would have talked to her at about 12.20. That, and it would have been, if, if that was, yes. It if would it have was been, a exactly. conversation with Bill. Exactly. But you're but pretty that, sure it was earlier. I'm pretty sure it was earlier. Just because I remember she had a lot of her shifts left. So I, like, if it was only like an hour left, I probably just would have left her, let her leave, not even like tell anyone about it, but like she's gone. That's why I'm thinking, but like I said, I'm not 100%. Accurate. And her shift ended at one? Um, it would have ended at one. It would have been one at one thirty because okay. I was done by 2.30 because we would pack them up. So I think it would have ended at one thirty. So if this had happened at about 12.15 or 12.20, after all of the interaction that you had with her when you went there and she said, my sister, and you were trying to get her to talk and you mm-hmm. packed the stuff up, it would have been about quarter to one anyway by the time you were to get, a, exactly. get her out of there, I would imagine. Because it wasn't just you walk in, she's upset, and you say, okay, we're leaving. Exactly. It, right. took a, it was a process. It took a while. Yeah. It kind of sounds like she made the call to Bill when she was alone in her dorm, just based on uh, what yeah. we're talking about here. Because there is a phone call at about 1010. 
that's on her phone record anyway. That lasted uh, 28 minutes, and then Karen says she was there around 10.45. And that, that would era. make sense, because yeah. I would get to Southwest around 10 o'clock, 10.30 those nights. So that would make sense, because that that's true, though, because I would have never been getting to Southwest that late on a Thursday evening. Right. This, so okay. Well, very yeah, good to talk this makes, out. Exactly. This all makes sense. Right. She exactly. talks to her sister. She says, my sister. She's very upset about something. She goes back and has a conversation with her boyfriend. That makes yeah. total sense. Misinformation out there is so frustrating because for the longest time I was thinking, why is so much attention on the call with Kathleen if she talked to yeah. Billy more recently? But it doesn't seem like that's that's the case. Yeah, yeah. And so in the Oxygen show, I don't know if you watched the- I did, I did okay, watch cool. it. Yeah, yeah, they actually, I mean, they talk about this moment, uh, this my, my sister uh, moment that Maura had with you and uh, Kathleen, Maura's sister, said that based on their phone call, the only thing that she could have- thought that it was was that she had been leaving a rehab facility and her husband at the time stopped at a liquor store on the way home from that rehab and so that is certainly enough to upset someone uh, a loved family member uh, of course does that sound like that could have been the case i don't know when I was in an arms robbery years ago, when I had a gun to my head, I remember being in that exact same mental scenario where I couldn't communicate, couldn't do this and this. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying she, it had to be some major stressor that I was thinking that would make her feel like that. I don't know. It just I, I a agree major. With that. It's because I had that because when I when that happened years ago with that with my um the robbery, I couldn't speak to people. I couldn't communicate. Like I couldn't even like talk to the people like next. Like I just, so I felt like it had to be a conversation that was like, I don't know. That was really bad. Like something would, really bad. Would you say that there was any anger there? No, no, no. Just, just couldn't communicate. Like I shut right. down. Like I physically like shut down, like emotionally, like, that's, I don't know. That's what it sounds like. The fact that when you saw her, that you felt like you needed to kind of go into crisis mode. Yes. Like you you weren't sure exactly how to approach her. You weren't sure of the right things to say. I mean, people say that it wasn't really like Mora to cry at all. I'm sure that if that is what happened in the conversation with Kathleen, I'm sure she would have been really upset. But honestly, like when I think about people peers of mine that i've seen have a reaction like that like outside of a psychiatric setting you know it's misleading to say oh the only in my job the people i've seen like that have been whatever but i'm just trying to think about peers of mine the only time i've seen anyone that upset is because they were just dumped or yep. because someone died yep like to, like to a be, horrible like yeah. a sad sad reaction yeah like a- right and it was a good point that you just brought up tim with kathleen saying the conversation was was this I would have just expected more to have more anger about about Tim Carpenter taking her to a liquor store and being a direct factor in her falling off the wagon, like, like instead enabling. of being sad. Yeah, instead of be being mad. Sad, I mean, she'd be sad, but she, I would imagine like maybe you know she's sh- like shoving things into her but, bag. And, but Chloe, doesn't that emotion kind of come from the same place? And it yes, it's, it, but it, it does. would just come out in different ways. It might come out in anger in one way. It might come out in Right, because, I mean, way. learning that information comes with a lot of emotions. You know, she's crying because her sister can't seem to to stay on the wagon, can't seem to keep it together. She's worried about what might happen to her. And there's anger as well. And I, I don't know what the dominant emotion is. I feel like it's easier to feel angry than it is to feel sad. And maybe channeling that in that moment would have made it so she was able to regulate. Because that's like the whole the whole issue is that she could not regulate and function. So I feel like it's easier to be angry and be like, oh, like my 
my brother-in-law is such an asshole. He He's yeah. not being helpful towards my sister. And I've had those feelings. And yeah. I feel oh, like yeah. my sister's been dating an asshole. And, and it pisses me off. And it's easier to be pissed off at the boyfriend than to be upset and sad about my sister. I think it is easier, as you said, to be angry at this but maybe it's just the case where there were so many emotions that it did kind of just shut her down internally totally overwhelming yeah and couldn't something have happened like maybe it could like with emotions can it be like from that same day like if bad stuff happens in the morning afternoon like can it also like keep building until like you explode too that's that's what i think happened honestly it's like a stress fracture like Like not just like that one and maybe it's like stuff before the phone call too i don't know yeah maybe i I think that if when you have a number of things that are really really difficult like you, you kind of just become really overwhelmed and collapse under the pressure and you know yeah the person that your coworker that told you that Mora wasn't in a good place. Yes. Um, have you spoken to him since about what he might have seen? Um, I don't remember how long ago, but it might have been like six or seven years ago. I reached out to him on Facebook just to say um, I was I was curious um, if you had any other information. Um, just or I, I think I just worried. I just wanted to talk to him about what happened way back in the days. If he had any other memories of um, when we last saw her that night, and um, he never got back to me on the Facebook Messenger. So I'm not sure if he just was. It's I mean it's a tough topic if you think of like. Whip, so I'm not sure if he just wasn't comfortable. He never got. I don't know. That's a great question. To commiserate for a moment, um, I've sent messages on Facebook uh, about Mora to people, and it's often you don't hear response. Yeah, yeah. it's just a bizarre thing to get an unsolicited email about i think yeah exactly can we go back to when sharon uh yeah, contacted of course. you of course. did she ever say if uh she had contacted other people and if so who else did she speak with i don't believe so i don't believe she shared that with me she might have because it was such a long ago conversation but no the main thing i got for the conversation she just was explaining how much she loved her when she would come to her were they on a farm i'm trying to remember she explained about being on a farm and hamara go some summer like i'm not sure what summer is and um it was more like an emotionally sad conversation with her telling me all these stories than she wanted to hear about so no i didn't get any other information for what she was pursuing or doing to help out so other than speaking with sharon roush uh and you gave a statement to the umass police was it yes yes it was and so you never spoke to mass state police new hampshire state police that's correct i never have fbi new hampshire league of investigators nope okay i'm glad they at least got a a written statement soon after because you know this is 14 years later and, and i'm sure it was a really resonating resonating moment for you and it's kind of sounds like you're remembered as clear as day but i i would hope that the state police the fbi whomever has your written statement i would hope so because if that's the case maybe that's why they haven't followed up because you know her memory is freshest at that point exactly exactly i don't know exactly yeah can you explain the uh, t-shirt that you're wearing of course i would love to so my T-shirt says, <laughs> share your sphere, living organ donor. Can I tell you the quick story about it? Because it's a yes. beautiful Please story. So I'm a teacher. I love teaching. I love kids. I have five of my own. They're crazy. I love them. Very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> 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 they are. So I teach second grade, but um, I teach in Stowe, Massachusetts. And um, last last spring, um, there was a little boy in our school who got a heart transplant, Ari. And um, he... Um, he died I think it was like three or four months after he had acute rejection so um right after he passed away you might have seen him on the news he was always on he was on Good Morning America with a baseball bat at Boston General Hospital you might have seen him he was such a sweetie pie beautiful beautiful family so right after he died on on Facebook someone um someone it's, it was like a share from a friend of a friend of a share I read about a it was a, a, a wife who wrote this really 
nice but sad um, post about her husband eating um, a kidney. He was like doing the best he could working. And it was really, it was really sad. I was already an emotional wreck for my little love. Um, so I contacted her and it's crazy. I was such a perfect match. I didn't even know them. And now we're besties. I call him my twinsie, Michael. He's my twinsie. Here's my lefty. <laughs> and now so I'm... He's, <laughs> he's got your left kidney He got my lefty. Yep, wow. he d- and he's doing wonderful. How long ago was that? April 12th was, this, was a surgery date. Uh, you're amazing. Guy. You got your kidney taken out like four months ago. Yeah, yes. Isn't that wonderful? I highly recommend it. You never <laughs> met him. It was just... I met him once. It's a long process going... Well, a beautiful process. I don't want to discard it, but it's a, it took a while, the process. But I met him... Right before the surgery, so you go. It's all about cross matching and t- tissue matching. So, like you were saying, Chloe, you have an identical twin. So, God forbid, but you know, if you ever, if anything ever happens, you have a beautiful tissue matching, perfect antigen Perfect, peers. perfect antigen Just peers. you know, use her for parts. Yes, yep. you can. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just crazy that we were such a great match. But if we weren't a great match, I would have also been. Um, have you heard of the kidney chains? It's beautiful. No. If you let's say you have a loved one who needs a kidney. And your, depending on your blood type, you can you join a chain through these hospitals. So you give a kidney to such stranger, and then eventually it, you'll get a kidney for your loved one. So you give one to someone. It's like a right. long wow. chain. I've heard of that. If everyone it's agrees, it, everyone, it's really mutual, mutually beneficial. Yes. But we were. This was amazing. I believe it was like fate that um that uh, we were a perfect match. Not pre- it's not a perfect match. We we're a really strong match. Is there a website you can uh, give us to uh, to send people to? Oh, I um no, but I want to because I actually have three really close friends right now. I'm trying to get kidneys for all O's. It doesn't matter if you're positive or negative. Mike, Steve, and Pam—they're all from the area. One's from Hudson, one's from Clinton, and one's from oh, I, I just met the, the other one. They're um from North North Shore area. So maybe we could figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How, however, 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 one can wherever one has to go if they're interested to do this. Where would they go? Like if they hear this and they say, "I'm interested in doing this," where can they go? You go. Um, so it's well, if you want to just be an all, because I'm, I'm considered an altruist, altruistic donor, meaning I did not know the person I gave it to. So a lot of the time, it's a loved one who you want to donate for. You know, of course, you go through their hospitals wherever they're gonna, wherever they like registered as, because you have to be on the transplant list to get a transplant. Like it's a national registry. So if it's someone you know, you go through their hospital to get tested. But if you want to just give a kidney out of the wonderfulness of your heart. It's the National Kidney Registry. You go through them. Okay. You just type in National Kidney Registry. It'll show you. Okay, great. Or great. contact me for some people who need some. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.